Right on the Mark, episode 15, recorded July 2021, featuring internationally renowned wildlife expert Val Geist, starts right now. He has hunted all across America and around the world. Rifle, pistol, shotgun, crossbow, compound, traditional, he uses them all. He's an outfitter, an award-winning outdoor television host, and founder of America's only organization fighting to protect every hunter's lifestyle. He's brash, he's bold, he's humorous, and a bit hot-headed. But when it comes to all things God, family, country, and hunting, He's Keith Mark, and he's right on the mark. The next episodes feature discussions with one of the foremost experts on big game animals in North America, Val Geist. You probably don't recognize his name because he's never sought the spotlight. And when he did take center stage, of course, the mainstream media ignored him and his message. Mr. Geist was born in the Ukraine and was raised in Austria and Germany. As a youngster, he was ridiculed by peers and turned to the woods and wild places for the comfort they provide, just as many hunters have. Through his long life, he was a rugged big game hunter, a highly educated biologist who went on to become a professor. He was a prolific writer and a passionate lover of animals. He helped to provide the framework for the North American model of conservation, and he was a vocal advocate for predator management. We were blessed to share the time we had with Mr. Geist, and what you're about to hear was most likely his last interview as God took him home just two weeks after our recording. I have struggled with the decision of whether to go forward with these episodes, but I'm confident that Val Geist would want his message to be heard. Whatever your feelings about the need for hunting and predator management, you absolutely should listen to the thoughts and beliefs of this unparalleled expert on these subjects. Speaking for everyone here at Right on the Mark podcast, conservation, wildlife, and all wild places has lost a true champion with the passing of Val Geist. Mr. Geist was certainly a friend to the North American hunters, and we dedicate these three shows to his lifetime of learning, hard work, advocacy, and his many hunting adventures. Godspeed, and God bless Val Geist. Welcome back to Right on the Mark, and we're talking to uh, Val Geist, just an expert uh, when it comes to all things wild. And we're talking about, and he was just telling us about the devastation that's gone on in places where the wolf has been uh, reintroduced. We were talking about Yellowstone, Mr. Geist, and and I just just asked this question, if unchecked, if wolves were not managed in any way, shape, or form through hunting, uh, we know there's not any natural predators other than man for them anymore. If left unchecked in or around the Yellowstone region, what would be the ultimate conclusion with regard to elk and moose and other uh, ungulates in, in, the, in the park? Well, you will, first of all, have large-scale extinctions taking place, which already have, have taken place. Try to find me a moose in Yellowstone Park, for instance. And uh, the, um, what you will find is you have a minimal amount of wildlife concentrated on private land. In other words, your large areas of public land will be denuded of wildlife because of predation. And by the way, your wonderful system of North American wildlife management 
would never have arisen unless you had eliminated the wolf in the 1920s already from the United States uh, as such. Because uh, your system of wildlife conservation is based on the idea that you produce wildlife for the general public for consumption. And, uh, <clears throat> but if the uh, wildlife has been consumed by predators, well, <clears throat> find out where hunting uh, goes from that, uh, at that point. So there are some people, there are some people, Mr. Geist, that believe um, one of the reasons behind this big push to reintroduce and introduce, in some cases, the wolf into places that have historically been excellent um, conservation success stories, like Yellowstone, for example, um, at its root is an anti-hunting policy. Correct. Do you agree or disagree with that? No, I don't disagree. I agree entirely. Uh, the animal rightists are very happy. As a matter of fact, some of the statements it's made in uh, Europe was were interesting. They say we'd rather have no deer at all than hunting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that so, almost yeah. seems so this is, that, that that's that actually sad when you think about that. And it's also very sad that your U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has been <laughs> more or less following that philosophy, because to introduce wolves into your landscape is unscientific. Ultimately, it's unnatural. wolves are predators, and, and they're well, going to eat. And you've already given us examples that wolves yeah. will adapt. Um, you know, the, eventually, if the anti-hunting, you know, PETA people, uh, human uh, humane society people, defenders of wildlife people have their way, wolves remain unchecked. Elk, deer, moose populations diminish to virtually nothing. Correct. And Correct. here you still have the wolf. And what will the wolf evolve to next, in your opinion, Mr. Geist? Well, as I said, you have right now the legal framework that ensures that the little wolf, the coyote, will be replaced by the big wolf. Well, have fun when that happens. What what would you predict will happen if it gets to that? Well, as I said, it's difficult to see this happening in a country that is armed in a country that has a lot of hunters, I think there's going to be a bit of a rebellion by the hunters. And I hope it will come sooner than later along this line. Let me insist here that your introductions of wolves is not a something based on science. It is based on advocacy by animal rights groups and so on, some of which were thinking that in the best of uh, faith that uh, there would be some sort of a balance struck between wolves and wildlife. There never has been a balance struck. In the 1960s, I studied mountain sheep, uh, stone sheep and uh, mountain goats and so on in the Spazizi in Northern British Columbia. It was a wilder paradise. It was a wilder paradise beyond belief almost. When my wife and I in September 1961 went on the Spazizi Plateau, the first thing that we saw was a gathering of the bulls, of the caribou bulls. That was about uh, 250 Uh, 300-yard gathering of uh, bulls, and it was just a wall of antlers in front of us. That's how uh, common uh, they were. And the very first valley that I went up um, after building my cabin in order to study stone sheep, there were 22 sheep, 22 rams in that valley. There were 15 rams in the other valley over, and I spent eight weeks studying the 22 rams. Amongst them was old curly, who probably would have beaten the Chadwick Ram in terms of horn size in that time. This was a wilder paradise. Today, that area is a wilder desert. 
Why? Because we protected it. It became a, a provincial park and wolves were protected now all of a sudden. Let me uh, give you <laughs> very briefly what actually we discovered uh, about wolf abundance. You are well aware that uh, the, um, uh, there is an understanding that American wolves don't uh, attack people and don't kill people. Well, they do occasionally, like the Canton Carnegie uh, event in 2005. And I was one of the three scientists chosen by the family to investigate the killing of that wonderful young man. But at any rate, it is true that the North American wolf is standing uh, historically uh, almost by itself. The attacks on people were so rare. But here is the answer to it. In that huge country, Canada and Alaska, you had approximately 60,000 trappers, which had trap lines. And in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, up to the 70s, these trappers relied on dog teams for transportation. There were no skidoos available in those days. As long as these trappers depended on dog teams, they were not compatible with wolves because wolves do destroy dogs and dog teams. Secondly, these wolves were destroying trap lines. They follow trap lines and they destroy fur. And in the 1920s, 30s, 40s and so on, if a trapper made $500 during a trapping season, he was a rich man. And for this reason, the destruction of fur was a very, very painful event. So this was another reason why they tried to keep wolves down. And the third reason is that when wolves come into a landscape in which there is wildlife, there is panic in the wildlife, absolute panic. Mountain goats disappear, mountain sheep disappear, <laughs> Every, <clears throat> moose get out of there. And I've seen this every two weeks while I was studying for two winters and two summers uh, mountain sheep in the Spazzisi, because wolves came roughly every uh, two weeks. There were only seven wolves, by the way. There had been nine, I shot two, and there were giants, absolute giants of wolves. And I didn't realize what that meant till today. But what it means was the following, that under these conditions that we had in the 19 in the uh, 19th century, wolves were outnumbered by trappers by about two to one, maybe even more than that. And on top of that, the government was involved in wolf control by throwing poisoned uh, horse meat out of aircraft onto lakes and rivers and so on and so forth, because they were afraid of Hydadi disease, which is a very terrible disease. And they were also afraid at times of of rabbit wolves, because that's a normal, um, in the normal cycle of wolves, they do get rabies, and rabies is a terrible, terrible uh, disease. So what we had in the 19th century was a, were wolves, which are very smart, they have larger brains than dogs do, by the way, they roam very far, and they were meeting continuously, not only hostile trappers, but a hostile uh, populace in the countryside that lived there as well. And uh, in um, settled landscapes, we had conservation officers systematically removing wolves at that time point. So what we had a situation of depressed wolves, very, very abundant wildlife as a consequence. The remaining wolves were still in packs. And because of the abundant wildlife, they grew into giants. And that's what I still experience as a young uh, zoologist and so on. The very first wolf that I shot 
I couldn't lift. It was an enormous, enormous beast. You know, so oh, what ahead, we I'm had sorry. at that time was very shy wolves, which were not dangerous at all. I guarantee you that because it was uh, very active. Uh, that no, I have. I was attacked actually twice by wolves. Once uh, by the uh, first wolf that I shot. Uh, it got the bullet right behind the shoulder blade through the lungs. He turned and attacked me. Uh, so I saw what it looks like, but he collapsed very quickly. Another time it was young wolves that mistook me for a, uh, maybe a lame deer on a lake in wintertime. And they came and racing towards me, but they changed their minds and uh, at about 15 paces from me. And when they changed their minds, they uh, hit the brakes and slid on the ice and fell on their back. And it was hilarious, to say the very least. I didn't kill them. The uh, I've also been attacked by coyotes, by the way. I've been attacked by grizzly bears. I've been treated by grizzly bears. And I've been attacked by black bears three times. So I haven't been attacked by mountain lions yet, but that can can happen any time because they're found around my house in yeah. uh, on Vancouver Island. So, um, yes. The reason American wolves were not attacking people was because of that unique circumstance where we had a network of trapping, trappers as well as a fairly reasonably large population living that were hostile to wolves, and that kept them very well educated. The number of wolves killed by trappers was actually quite low. It was about one wolf killed per five trappers per year. That's what the... Um, oh, um, the data where the trappers got uh, a bonus for the, uh, showed as such. Hmm. So the answer why these wolves were so docile resides in the fact that they had a very large experience with hostile human beings. And besides that, any wolf that became rabbit was killed very quickly because uh, they are living in a countryside where almost everybody carried a gun. This was one of the, the beauties. Right on the Mark is brought to you in part by Hunter Nation. Hunter Nation defends all of our traditional American values, God, family, country, conservation, and our hunting lifestyle. Join the unified voice of the American hunter by visiting HunterNation.org today. You know, it seems to me um, that the way our media um, and, and just the way storytellers in general have approached the wolf has changed dramatically from the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th uh, century. Um, it used yes. to be in fairy tales, and there was a reason behind almost all those That's fairy right. tales, by the way. Right. The wolf was portrayed um, that human children should be very fearful of and weary of the wolf because it's our ancestors realized what the wolf was capable of, and now... Um, children these days are taught that the wolf is a cuddly, he's your friend, right. don't That's fear right. the wolf, we should love the wolf. And, and, and um, I think this is setting the stage for just some terrible tragedies to come with wolf and human interactions going forward. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you are absolutely right because these tragedies have happened already. And probably one of the most tragic events was in Kalmarden Zoo in uh, Sweden just a few years ago, uh, where they have, where they, there was a deliberate attempt to mislead the public, basically. That's why I read it. Uh, they showed um, how cuddly wolves were, just as you said. It was a lady that was with the wolves and 
and I was horrified when I saw that because I know something about uh, the behavior of wolves in captivity and in human uh, care. And uh, yes, the wolves killed her and ate her. Hmm. So and, unchecked. Uh, it's not the only one. The, the, she's not the only example. There are more examples of just that. So yeah. uh, unchecked, Mr. Geist, um, mm -hmm. children at school bus stops, yeah. um, children uh, at uh, camp, uh, right. families uh, on holiday. Right. I mean, it, it seems to me that we're, we're on a very dangerous trajectory with the wolf. Well, you are disrespecting the wolf. In the, by the way, you were very correct about the past. And one reason why this was such a horrible uh, situation was when the wolf becomes rabbit, they run amok and they run through the countryside biting everything. And um, there were stories of up to 22 people being bitten by rabbit wolves. But of course, if you get bitten by rabbit wolves, you're dead because you will get rabies and you die. And even a nick uh, of the skin by a rabbit wolf was a death sentence. That's why the people were so afraid of wolves, and rightly so. In other words, uh, what we're thinking of fairy tales aren't fairy tales. The, well, there's some very good studies that have been carried on in Europe by Professor Morisot in France, for instance. He wrote his first book when he, he had recorded 3,500 deaths by wolves in France, and he's now up to over 9,000. And wow. he also said in an interview that if the um, historical records have been complete, which they were not because of the many wars that France experienced, the many churches that were burned and records destroyed, he would have over 100,000 deaths by wolves in France. Wow. So uh, um, a very, very good book written in 1717 an encyclopedia of hunting and forestry, by the way, in, in German. Uh, and they describe their understanding of wolves. And the understanding of wolves is that it is a very, very, very dangerous predator that um, made it so difficult after the 30 year war, which was 1618 to 1648, that they couldn't settle uh, whole uh, areas for a very long time till they managed to control wolves. As such, so historically, we have some interesting information along that line. Is the, is the wolf an endangered species as we no, sit here? Never. The wolf is not an endangered species. That is a very, very, very bald-faced misinformation. It's a it's widespread in the northern hemisphere, and it it can hold itself extremely well against people. Well, I'll give you an interesting, I think it's an interesting example. In Japan, the wolf was considered by the populace a holy animal, and uh, they even built altars in uh, favor of wolves. And the reason for that was that the samurai had disarmed the uh, peasantry, and the peasantry had no weapons to defend themselves against wild boars and deer uh, marauding on the, their land. So what they tried to do was to attract wolves in order to control the deer and the pigs. And that worked quite well uh, for uh, some time. And then <sighs> rabies struck. Now a rabbit wolf is something terrible. I mean, he races the countryside, attacks everything, bites everything. And the Japanese exterminated the wolf by 1905. So it went from 
the holy animal to ex total extinction by human hands because of the consequences of having it. Uh, as I said, it's hard to say what is going to happen in the future because your court systems are unpredictable in this regard. Well, as you know, right now, the current administration in the United States um, is trying to undo what the Trump administration had done as far as the delisting of the wolf, which simply meant that wolves would be on uh, the management chart with all of the other wildlife. Um, mm -hmm. We would manage wolves the way we manage deer, the way we manage elk, the way we manage fill in the blank. Um, by removing that special protection that had just been arbitrarily put on the wolves, um, then they could be managed, which obviously managing an apex predator is an extremely important component if you want to manage all of the wildlife in the vicinity of or the habitat of that wolf. Well, as we said here now, uh, we have an administration that is um, uh, looking to bend to the pressures of these anti-hunting, right. these PETA organizations, and placing that endangered monocle back on the wolf, right. which will prevent states where this crisis has just become exactly that, a terrible crisis, it's from crisis. managing the wolves. Right. And if that happens, Mr. Geist, if... Uh, for a prolonged period of time, the wolf has continued to be introduced to places like Texas and <laughs> Colorado and then remains unchecked under the, 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 the pretext that they are endangered. What is the end result for us here? Well, the end result is that you lose your hunting and you lose your hunt hunters as such. And uh, <clears throat> besides, you will lose your Second Amendment at the same time. Because what keeps your Second Amendment in place is wildlife. Wildlife is your justification for being armed. It's been well, <laughs> well thought out in the past. But let me tell you. Uh, how oh, this before you get to the next part, you just said something that is just so profound. So, in your opinion, the best protection of the Second Amendment is the American hunter, because they are the pretext for keeping. The government from disarming the American populace. Is that your Correct. thought? Correct. That's right. Wildlife is your protector of your Second Amendment. Yes, that's right. And when you have no wildlife left to hunt, you have no justification for firearms. Wow. That's a very scary thought, sir. Well, I'm sorry, but you better think yourself through on these things. Right. And act consequently, yeah? Right. And, you know, uh, it's a great place right now for me to plug. Um, I'm actually the founder of an organization called Hunter Nation. And um, our great president and CEO, Luke Hilgeman, um, and our organization was the group that actually sued the state of Wisconsin uh, when they refused to um, have a wolf season. And we actually beat them in court. And, and, and it made them open up a hunting season in Wisconsin where we killed, I believe, 216 wolves in a 72-hour period, um, which was at least a start in managing wolves in Wisconsin. But that was our group, uh, the Hunter Nation. And those of you that are just tuning in, don't know anything about Hunter Nation, I, I really encourage you um, because these things that Mr. Geist is talking about, this is real life stuff. 
I mean, this is a destruction of deer and elk and moose and really a destruction of everything that our forefathers uh, had created with the uh, North American model of conservation um, by this ruse that they're perpetrating on us with the wolf. And the wolf is dismantling and destroying our wildlife population. With the destruction of the wildlife population leads to the destruction of hunting. With the destruction of hunting is the destruction of the American hunter. Once the American hunter is destroyed, we're disarmed. We become helpless. We become slaves to a tyrannical government, if you will. And that is exactly why you must. You must go to HunterNation.org. Uh, and you need to get involved. You need to join this army, this grassroots army of Hunter that, that, that we've just said, we're not going to have this. We're going to fight you in the courts. We're going to fight you wherever we must fight you to preserve these rights. Sadly, God took Mr. Geist home on July 7, 2021, only weeks after we recorded this interview. After our recording was stopped, we had made plans for more interviews with Mr. Geis, and we had hopes of bringing our film crew up to his home in Canada. And he was writing an article about the North American hunter and predator management to be read on HunterNation.org's website. Unfortunately, he never completed that article. Sure, we've had bigger celebrities on the podcast, but I don't know that I have ever met anyone with more knowledge and experience on the subject of wolves and predator management. I know our time with him was very short, but it was packed with so much information and expertise, and I knew this was a man that I would love to share a campfire with. So in closing, I would urge everyone listening to remember Mr. Geist's message to the North American hunter he firmly believed that we hunters are the last defense in our fight to protect the Second Amendment and the very right to keep and bear arms. He told us plainly, hunters must unite, that hunters must work together and stop fighting amongst ourselves if we're going to save this perfect hunting lifestyle. And I would like to ask all of you listening that when you hit your knees this evening to say a prayer for the peaceful repose of the soul of Val Geist. The views and opinions expressed on Right on the Mark are not necessarily those of our host, guests, or sponsors. Right on the Mark is produced at Hunter Nation Studios and is the property of Bow and Arrow Productions, produced in conjunction with BLT Productions. Copyright 2021.